Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 63, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. Right at the start of what is going to be the shortest weekend of the year. Oh, we're, we're coming up to the summer. We are. Summer officially starts, well, at least here in uh, the UK this weekend. Clocks go forward early hours of Sunday morning. That means lighter evenings are coming and lots of gaming shows over the summer as well. Oh, yeah, it's not going to be good weather, but, you know, we're going to get indoors and play some games. Yeah, we don't care about the weather outside, so uh, we'll be updating our calendar on the retrohour.com if you want to come and check us out hopefully going to be at Replay and Play Expo all of those big shows that are coming yeah, up yeah yeah we've kind of got like a circuit now haven't we every year we kind of end up going to these shows and there's some really good ones Play in Manchester Blackpool amazing Blackpool watch out the boys are going to be back in town oh god <laughs> kebab shops watch out <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for checking out the show this week guys if you are new to it every single Friday a little treat before the weekend Ravi and I update you on the stories that have been making the headlines in the world of retro and then in the second half of the show, we dedicate it to a very special guest. Now, this week... And in the coming weeks, sorry to interrupt. Oh, we, we have some huge guests lined up. We've got some massive ones coming up. And it all starts today. Now, uh, this guy, I think you could probably say, has the most famous sofa on YouTube. Yeah, the, the most minging sofa as well. <laughs> <laughs> he can never get rid of it, though, can he now? No, no. And it's Stuart Ashen. Yes, yeah, Stuart Ashen. Ashen's on YouTube, I'm sure you know him. YouTuber, uh, comedian, writer, uh, famous for eating decades-old food and living to tell the tale. And reviewing really old, odd systems, like... I'm talking really crap knockoff systems, pop stations and <laughs> iPhones and stuff like that. <laughs> and terrible games as well. He even did a book on that. He's got a new one coming out. And he's also the guy that, you know, helped to bring back Nightmare. Yeah, Nightmare. What, what a cool show. And that was with the original guys, wasn't it? Yeah, so Trey Gerdle. They yeah. had the old set and everything. Which uh, we're going to get the story of, uh, you know, the Nightmare revival, if you loved that show back in the day. And you watched that special. It was on YouTube a couple of years ago now. Um, Ashen's, Stuart Ashen, is going to be our special guest on the Retro Hour in around 20 minutes from now. Now, uh, we've got a little shout-out to do here for a computer club, because, you know, we always like to get behind clubs. It's like, you know, back to roots, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And this is in Ealing. So if you're near the Greenford Community Centre, then you can contact the computer club at hotmail.com. And these guys basically meet every Thursday at 7.20 and they're kind of afternoon members. They discuss old computers, play with new hardware that's come out for these old computers and they play retro games. Nothing better than getting together in person, though, and, like, messing around with old hardware and... Definitely not. Yeah, it's it's really good. You know, you can watch these YouTube videos, you can sit at home and do it, but actually showing off to someone's great. <laughs> well, Steve, he's, you know, we've met him at a few shows. He's one of the Amiga lads on YouTube, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, Steve Bennett, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's. Uh, I was chatting to him about the stuff they've got there, you know. It, they help, like, users do repairs on their old systems and that kind of thing, too, which... Uh, a lot nicer than shipping them like halfway around the world to get fixed, isn't it? You know Definitely, I mean? yeah. If you need a local expert, then get down here. Absolutely. So if you want to find out more, we'll st- stick that email address in our show notes at theretrohour.com. And that website is also the place where, you know, if you're feeling a little bit generous across the weekend, now that summer's finally in the air, and you'd maybe like to leave a little donation to help this show continue throughout 2017. Because it is the people that make kind donations to this show that enter 
the Retro Hour Hall of Fame each week. And uh, we've been blown away by your generosity this week, guys. So we want to give a huge shout out. Making the Hall of Fame this week, Stelios Calagrades. Charles Clark. Pierre Lindbergh. Matthias Otrosky. Scott Marsden. And Paul Edwards. Who've all made really generous donations to the running of this show this week through the website, theretrohour.com. Thank you so much, guys. It means the world to us. And actually, while you're on our website, you can uh, help the show out in another way. Yeah, you just go to theretrohour.com forward slash vote and a form pops up. You put the Retro Hour podcast in there and then vote for us. And we will be entered in the British Podcast Awards public vote. Yeah, it's a listener's choice award, isn't it, on the uh, the the British Podcast Awards. Now, this is coming up at the uh, end of next month. I haven't got long to get that suit pressed, Revy. Hopefully That's it's still it. fitting in mine. I'm more for a while. <laughs> Shouldn't have had that mouse bob before we started recording. Hide the top button, you know. <laughs> Wear it open. It's a style these days, yeah. isn't it? So if you'd like to, uh, you know, give Ravi and I a, a little bit of fun. You know, we're going to be there on a night out, you know, in London. Going to get suited and booted. Paul Kitchen's coming. Uh, Joe, hopefully, as well, if he's not too jet-lagged from his, uh, his honeymoon in there. Uh, yeah, we're going to get Paul smashed. It's going to be well funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be nice to, you know, pop a bottle of champagne and celebrate winning an award on the night. And uh, you guys can help make that a reality for us. All you've got to do, if you'd like to vote, like Ravi said, it'll take you two seconds. All you've got to do, tap this in, theretrohour.com forward slash vote, and we'll also stick that in our show notes as well. Okay, before we get into this week's interview with Stuart Ashen, some really interesting headlines been making uh, the news this week, including one of our favourite retro musicians who's working on a pretty cool platform now. Yeah, this is C-Tricks, and if you don't know about C-Tricks, he kind of, he's done a lot of Amiga music and using Amigas, but he's also done hacks with Game Boys so he can play kind of music on its spectrums but now he's moving on to the vectrex what a machine oh yeah the vectrex is beautiful you know i was thinking about buying one dan yeah you're telling me the other day and i was quite surprised because i thought they are a really obscure system and very unique i thought you know you must come into a a few quid i thought they're gonna be like two or three grand or something it's only about well even you can get 144 quid online that's nuts. Yeah. Why? Why the cheap? I don't know. Maybe maybe because people think, oh, there's a CRT in there. Is it going to go and kind of replace it? But I've seen on Hackaday, there's quite a few mods on how to replace them. And what's really interesting about the Vectrex is they've started doing demos for it. Yeah. Which, you know, it's all that kind of vector lines and everything. It just looks gorgeous. But they've also got a multi-cart out now. Oh, like a flash cut? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. that's really like cool. Like an Everdrive, yeah. Yeah, because imagine, you know, the games are probably harder to get hold of than the, than the actual hardware, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Probably. Well, Citrix, though, he's been doing some experiments because I've, you know, like you said then, the visual style of the Vextrax is really, you know, eye-catching and very unique. Mm. Audio on it is not something I've really paid that much attention to, though. No, and uh, one of our listeners, Chris, aka Midiara, sent us this little link. So, do you want to hear a bit of our Citrix? Early Vectrex music experiments. Oh, yeah, definitely. Have a listen to this. Get your ears around this. (laughs) Oh, that's nasty. (laughs) That bass, isn't it? Sounds a bit specky. It does actually, yeah. Citrix is such a cool guy, though. And, you know, looking at this as well, it's got kind of, you know, those really thick scan lines between the characters as well. Like, um, you know, you see on really old, like, early DOS machines. Yeah. It's got such a gorgeous display. Watching that made me think, oh, I really want to get my hands on one of these. But yeah, I just want to see one in person because I've only seen them at shows and, like, oh, just the display is, like, fantastic. And there's always people around them. You can never get on them at shows, yeah, can you? Yeah. But Citrix, I mean, I remember a video he did because he actually plays nightclubs. <laughs> 
doesn't he? No, DJs yeah, at them. Yeah, I've seen footage of like 500 people at the club going mad to like uh, an Amiga or something. Yeah, well, there's a video here. Check this out. This is him DJing in Australia. Oh, nasty. <laughs> and he's there. He's got an Amiga 1200 in front of him here and a 500. Massive CRT monitor. Just going through a mixer and it's like, you know, he DJs all night with these. Half a megabyte of memory and a seven megahertz processor. Oh, I just love that. And the fact that, you know, he's got an audience. I can DJ forever, but no one will come. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> C-Tricks, you can fill a club. We'll come, Ravi. We'll, we'll watch you on, on Facebook Live. Yeah. I haven't done one of them for a while, actually. No, no, I should get back on it. I'm no. getting them recapped at the moment. Yeah, and you're sending like, like six or seven of them away, aren't you? Okay. Yeah, I've got, I've got to send six or seven Amigas away. And this is to get them recapped so they're going to last for a long time in the future but you know this is like a hundred it's a big quid I'm spending on it get that sent registered yeah <laughs> that's it recorded delivery yeah the definitely. post will be having a LAN party like yeah. Lotus 2 with his mates so if you want to see this uh, Tricks video we'll pop uh, a couple of his links actually because he's well worth a watch in our show notes at theretrohour.com now uh, here's an article that <laughs> grinded your gears in the week Ravi um, obsolete technology 40 big losers now this is an article that PC World did a while back, and uh, there are some quite bizarre things on this list. Yeah, so they're kind of doing this uh, a list where they're going through 40 things and they're saying, you know, status, deceased or on life support or, you know, healthy. And uh, there's some pretty odd things here, which kind of makes me think that they haven't been really playing games <laughs> these yeah. days. Now, their second on the list is running out of hard drive space. Now, anyone that owns a PS4 and Xbox One will instantly tell you that that pretty much happens after you put about four games on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm downloading 50 gig games a time for my PC. You, yeah, know? you know what I mean? That is certainly, you know, as much as we wish that was uh, something that's not affecting the current gaming world, it definitely is. Probably worse than ever now, to be fair. Totally. And then another one, number eight, is getting fuzzy TV reception. I don't get fuzzy TV reception. When I watched TV when it was fuzzy, you could still kind of make out what was going on. But digital TV, when it messes up, oh my God, it's All hor horrible, mate. <laughs> well, I've got, you know, we've got Freeview in the bedroom at home and that distorts a lot worse than analog did. If it messes up, you lose half the screen, the sound goes off. And I've got Sky as well, you know, if you get a thunderstorm or it rains heavily, my Sky cuts out, so... Again, yeah, it's probably worse than ever, to be fair now. Yeah, and they're saying typing on a typewriter, nearly deceased, when actually I've been seeing all these images and I've actually seen people out with typewriters, hipsters, sitting there typing away in like an art cafe or somewhere. Trying not to get the beards and the rollers. Yeah. <laughs> also playing video games at an arcade. Now that's had quite a resurgence in recent years. Yeah, and that's number one, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, it's like, you know, even look here in Nottingham, like, you know, we, we, there's not an amazing arcade, but there is one opened up, like last year, in a shopping centre we have here. And that's always fun to go along and, uh, you know, have a little play on. And I think, you know, they are starting to make a bit of a comeback. Last week, we had a show all about Arcade Club, didn't yeah. we? Number 17, making someone a real mixtape. That's actually coming, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, where they release tapes of mixtapes. Well, you look, you look at Mixclad.com, sites like that, you know, it's yeah, essentially yeah. just a, a mixtape, isn't it? Wearing a calculator watch, what is this Apple Watch coming to <laughs> yeah, glorified, glorified Casio, isn't it? <laughs> so you guys can check out this list and see any that you don't agree with and uh, put it in the comments. Yeah, there are some very odd ones in here as well. I think number 25, having your mobile phone attached to your car. Is that really? <laughs> I have mine plugged in the aux all the time on my car. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like... Uh, so. Yeah, is it? Hands-free, you're supposed to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, PC world. <laughs> yeah, so we'll show that show notes if you want a bit of a giggle this weekend. Now, obviously, emulation's cool. 
but us being like kind of purists. We like playing with the original hardware, but we're not beyond, you know, maybe getting more convenient methods to get software loaded onto, you know, for example, classic systems like the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, you don't want to be sitting there loading a tape forever. Who's got time for that these days? <laughs> so there's this project, which was Div MMC. Now, this was a SD card reader for the Spectrum, but it had a few issues when it first came out. You know, you had to change a jumper inside and do all this complex thing. Now, one of our listeners, I'm afraid to say, I'm sorry, I've forgotten who it was, mm-hmm. but they've informed us of the Div MCC future which is a new version of this card, and it's finally completely perfect. They're saying, you know, they've overhauled the whole circuit design. It's detected whenever you plug it into a Spectrum, so there's no fiddling around with jumpers or anything. Automatically then, though. Yeah, automatically, but it also uses a third of the power of the one before. So they're saying, you know, your non-capped speckies and your really old ones or your dodgy Russian prototypes, <laughs> it's not going to fry them to bits. So your power supply is not going to go, like, smoking. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Well, that's pretty good. It's even got, like, a Kempson joystick port on there as well, um, a rainbow stripe to make it authentic, you know, look like an old Spectrum. It yeah. does it look really cool. And it looks like it's going to work on every single version. And, you know, I guess this has been a problem with all the different versions of speckies that have been released and clones and everything. Yeah. It's good to have a complete solution. And it looks really neat as well. Well, they've got a, a little picture of like you know the original Rubberkeed Specky at the bottom of their um, website here. And, um, you know, it plugged in the cartridge slot on the back of the user port. It, it looks like, you know, it could have been a peripheral that was made in like 1982, doesn't it? Yeah, and they're saying, you know, uh, the, the 3D p- printed case in the picture, that's not the actual one. Mm. You know, they're going to have a better quality one than that. But it does look like it could exactly be released by Sinclair. You know. Well, this is uh, the website is thefuturewas8bit.com. It's actually the same site where you get the... Uh, I don't know if it's the same team, actually. You do the the SD2 IEC, you know, SD card readers for the Commodore 64 oh, could be, that I've got. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if it is that same crew, then, um, you know, I can I can be testament to the fact their hardware is really good. You know, I, I love my SD2 IEC. So we'll link that up in our show notes this week as well. Now, before we chat to Stuart Ashen, our very special guest this week, um, <laughs> quite a cool video that you found on YouTube. All about a very early CD-ROM title. Now, we've kind of covered, you know, obviously we did a show about Myst, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. With Robin Miller. Um, another big game that was around back then and kind of, you know, helped get CD-ROM into the big wide world was Seventh Guest. Yeah, this was a, a massive FMV game, wasn't it? Probably one of the first, if not the first proper big blockbuster FMV game, wasn't it? Did you play it? I, I remember seeing it on Bad Influence. That was the first time I saw it um, and being kind of blown away by it. I did play it, but probably not for maybe a, a year or so later. I played it just in a shop. Well, what system was it for? Because I know there was a PC version. It was a PC. I played it on, I think. But it okay. also, I've got it now, um, only bought it in the last couple of years, on the Philips CDI. Okay. Um, which, you know, if you've got the FMV cart for that, it looks really good on the CDI. But it was always, you know, the, the bit that sticks in my mind is... When you load the game on, you kind of get that menu with like the skeleton hand. I always remember that bit. Oh, yeah, I recognise that. And it kind of points to things. Yeah. And then there's always that scene at the beginning where you go to the top of the stairs and there's that stained glass window and yeah. kind of the ghosts appear in front of, of real live actors, which is where this video comes you in. You know, even you talking about it, I'm just getting like kind of flashbacks now of the uh, seeing all the promo stuff. It was mind-blowing at the time, though. I mean, you bear in mind, this was like, what year did that come out? It must be like 94, maybe? It was around that time. Around the 93. Same, yeah, 93. I mean, God, you think like... Sonic the Hedgehog only came out like 18 months before that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, like, that true. Was a, In <laughs> graphics, that was a huge leap, wasn't it? So, you know, I, I think what's really cool is that it's kind of that era where everyone, suddenly CD-ROMs came along and we had the space to do 
proper full motion video. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show before where they just tacked on an FMV intro to like every game back then, didn't they? <laughs> but this was really one of the first games that really utilised it in a proper storytelling way. And this video actually shows the actors on set. And you know how they're actually creating it. You know, they're filming it like a full film production. I guess you wouldn't have a game that looked like a film set until this. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, actors must have thought like, you know, <laughs> must be in heaven. They thought, oh, it's going to be the future now. We're going to get loads of roles. Obviously, yeah. now you get voice acting, but it's not quite the same, I imagine. Probably doesn't pay quite as well as being on camera. Damn CGI. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to have this, uh, you know, it's a curious little insight, isn't it, into a very brief period of gaming. And, you know, something that was really unique for the early 90s. And yeah, one of the main guys that's like Deirdre, doesn't he? Deirdre <laughs> from Curry, yeah. yeah. He, I didn't want to say that, but he, he kind of does. So if you want to check that video out, we'll put that in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Right then, guys, thank you so much for checking out episode number 63 of the Retro Hour podcast. We'll be out again next Friday, of course, available from all your favourite podcast clients. Uh, iTunes, where we haven't had any reviews for a while on iTunes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of stagnant, so, yeah. So. yeah. We'd love to hear some new views, good or bad. Yeah. Well, mainly <laughs> good. good yeah. <laughs> so, but obviously, any reviews and stuff we get on iTunes, you know, YouTube, if you leave a comment on there, if you thumbs up the video, SoundCloud, the same Stitcher, helps us rise up the charts and uh, gets a show in front of more people. So it's always appreciated. Yeah, and we always chat to you, you know, we'll drop in a reply and stuff. Yeah. I'll let you do the nasty ones wherever you reply to them. <laughs> more brutal than I am. So we'll be out again next Friday. We'll catch you then. And of course, let's sit back and chat to one of our favourite YouTubers now. This week's special guest, Stuart Ashen, on the Retro Hour for the next 45 minutes. And we'll see you next week. Ciao. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it's time to welcome this week's very special guest and by far one of our favourite YouTubers, Welcome to the show, Stuart Ashen. Hello, hello. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, Ravi did want you to say hello, so uh, we got that out of the way there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you wanted a more bombastic one. You wanted, hello, or something like that. That's yeah, all that right. Got the soundbite straight away. <laughs> <laughs> now, we are going to talk about your uh, incredible YouTube channel in just a moment, but we thought it would be really nice to get, you know, a little bit of an overview and uh, your personal history. Um, so what was your earliest gaming memory then? What do you remember? I... Whew. It was weird. It was um, something I'd actually forgotten and somebody brought up yesterday. It suddenly sprung to mind. It was an Atari 2600 version of The Empire Strikes Back, um, which I didn't remember playing. Then somebody showed me a screenshot of it the other day and it brought back a hideous sort of wave of nostalgia. Oh, my God, I remember seeing this. But my sister claims that I used to hang off the... um, pac-man machines in any public place when no money was in them and pretend i was playing them so that probably predates it but i don't remember that just playing the demo on the screen <laughs> exactly yeah not understanding at all what was going on well did you used to frequent arcades quite a lot when you were young then yeah sort of teenage years they were still quite big um i mean i used to love them when i was young but obviously when you're young you can't get there on your own your dad's not very keen on um giving you a load of 10 p's to go into a big place full of drug dealers and stuff um so it was more, I think about the time Virtua Fighter came out, that was probably the most time I spent at the arcades. Yeah, it was kind of similar. It was like Mortal Kombat, I remember the one I used to go to. All the time. Oh, God, yeah. it, when Mortal Kombat 2 came out, we were so excited. And there was a machine in, I think it was Hemsby on the coast here in Norfolk, where you could play it for 10p a go, which was by far cheaper than most of the others, which had gone up to like 50 those were the days. So what was your first system you got at home then? My uncle gave me a Commodore VIC-20, which I barely remember. 
it came with such exciting games as Pirate's Cove, which was like an early text adventure. So it was, you know, go north, drop dead of boredom, put in rude word to see what the response is, that kind of thing. Um, then I had that for about six months. Then for Christmas in December 1986, I got my ZX Spectrum Plus 2, and that was basically the end of my life. Nice. And uh, I hear you mention Amiga quite a few times in your videos. So did you have one? I did, yes. Um, I went from the Spectrum to an Atari ST to an Amiga, and then uh, it sort of segued into consoles and PC and stuff at the time, basically because I had more money to buy stuff at that stage. But yeah, yeah, I had an Amiga for several years. Was it mainly kind of gaming, or did you do any applications and stuff like that? I was always fiddling with various applications and never made anything of any worth whatsoever, to be honest with you. Um I've got to spend ages playing with Octomed, one of the uh, mod tracker programs, but I have no musical uh, talent whatsoever, which was very, very evident in the music I tried to make. I did some programming for the Amiga. I released three public domain titles. No, that's a lie. I released two public domain titles, and the third one was unreleased, actually. Um, only one of them was a game. The other were like pointless utility programs that could basically have been programmed by anybody who can speak English, really. Did you put those out on the public domain libraries then? I did, yes. The first two, yeah. There was Apathy, which was an uh, acronym for all-purpose application that helps you. Right. <laughs> See what I did there. I think I, I basically made it to amuse my friend Raymond, and it got further and further in these versions kept adding all these stupid features to it it was it looked like an old um, mainframe terminal black screen green text and you just selected various options and there were stupid things like uh tony hart's gallery emulator where it would just show um sort of uh, bits of just triangles and things and um play a bit of soft music in the background and when you stopped a speech synthesizer would pretend to be Tony Hart and tell you what it thought of the various pictures that had come up. Oh, wow. God, <laughs> I need, I need there's to get such older, nonsense man. in that. <laughs> well, you may, you know, talking about TV of that era as well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously video games TV was pretty big in the early 90s. I mean, did you used to watch programs like Games Master and Bad Influence and all those? Oh, yeah, for a period, Games Master was almost a semi-religious thing, which is fits because it was set in a church at the time, if I remember, where I would go around a friend's house, yeah, and we would watch it every week. Then there was that disappointing series with Dexter Fletcher where it was all just about watching other people play video games, which we never understood and never thought would catch on. Me and Gary Larry still laugh about that, and, yeah, <laughs> then that Let's Plays became a thing, and we were very wrong on that front. Um, Bad Influence, I do remember watching Bad Influence, but it wasn't... It was a, seemed to be slightly skewed at a younger audience, um, which basically means it had the same contents, but Dominic Diamond wasn't on it being rude. <laughs> yeah, I watched that. They're all on YouTube now, aren't they, Games Master? And the, the stuff you got away with at, like, six in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> it did fly under the radar, amazingly. I, there's a massive blind spot uh, for television when it comes to video games, and I think he managed to sort of hide under that blind spot, to be honest. Because as we know, they've they still won't commission really anything to do with games to this day. Charlie Brooker got away with like one episode of something and that's because he literally runs a production company, you know. Yeah, I it's guess a shame. The, uh, I guess the executives weren't watching Games Master, they just thought, oh, it's a game show, so we'll ignore it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, what's this? That, that thing my children play with, with the man of pack. I have no interest <laughs> in this. We well, do make an interesting point that, you know, it, despite the fact that video games are like, the biggest in terms of, you know, monetary value, the biggest form of entertainment these days and like 
there isn't a mainstream program dedicated to them. It's crazy. There absolutely isn't. And Games Master was the biggest program on Channel 4 at the time. Um, I believe it used to occasionally outstrip the Channel 4 news. Um, but again, just totally ignored. It's television people have a real, real aversion to games. And it's something that still permeates to this day. Uh, it was once explained to me as somebody saying, well, the problem with games are they're actually a, a rival to television. I think it's not quite that simple, is it? Because, you know, you still have a lot of television programs about films mm. and, you know, you, you films appear in a cinema. That's kind of a rival to television. But I've never understood it. Never understood it. But now they're so far behind the curve. I mean, for years, if you had been able to come up with a good magazine format for a gaming show, you know, the top gear of video games sort of thing, you would be rolling in money to this day. But that time has passed now because it can't be anywhere near as um, fast and reactionary as YouTube by any stretch of the imagination. So it would have to be something higher quality in a way. It'd have to be sort of retrospectives, programs around games as opposed to about games. I don't know because television's a bloody nightmare and I try and avoid thinking about making stuff for it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because Games Master, as you said, was doing really well and they replaced it with Hollyoaks, which has <laughs> never done well. You know? Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's the yeah. ultimate insult. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, I mean, Hollyoaks has been long-lasting and popular, but not quite the same thing, my God. <laughs> what about your, you know, your kind of personal gaming life then around that time? I mean, did you get into, like, uh, you know, the super consoles came along in the mid-'90s? Were you, like, PlayStation, Sega Saturn, N64? Oh, I was right in at the bottom floor on those. I was very late to the Mega Drive and... Well, I was going to say late to the Mega Drive and Super Nintendo, really. I, I didn't get them until they were second-hand and cost almost nothing. In fact, a few years ago, I found my receipt from when I bought a second-hand Super Nintendo from Virgin Megastore, back when A, they existed, and B, they sold second-hand stuff. And I bought it the day Mortal Kombat 3 came out without having realized that Mortal Kombat 3 isn't very good, something I learned to my great cost. And the console itself was uh, £70, and the game was 80 And people say games are expensive now. I mean, what is that in today's money? £48 yeah. billion. Pounds. I don't know, but, yeah, frightening. But uh, I was in at the ground floor pretty much for the Saturn when it came out. Um, I was sold in it partially because it had sort of Sega behind it. Um, and for other reasons, I can't remember now. But obviously I bought that, and then within a few months, you're like, ah, oh, I, I pretty much need to get a PlayStation now if I want to continue to play games. So it is quite an underrated system, though, things. isn't it, the Saturn? It's, you know, to this day, there is some little hidden gems on that platform. I like things like Guardian Heroes, Astonishing, mm. um, Panzer Dragoon, great series, or there's not a bad one for... Um, well, they sort of remade the first one for Xbox, I think. Yeah, there's a, there's a load of interesting bits and bobs for the Saturn. It's such a shame it's, well, it was slightly underpowered on the 3D when everything was going for the 3D, and it was meant to be such a pain in the arse to program for due to the weird internal architecture of it that uh, it suffered horribly in um, ports. So, you know, if you're looking at a game that's both on the PlayStation and the Saturn, the Saturn version looked janky as hell. Oh, dear. But do you know I actually collect Sega Saturn games? I'm trying to get all the PAL games released for it. I bet yeah. that's expensive with the uh, Shenmue stuff. And is it Shenmue or no, that was uh, Shenmue was Dreamcast? Yeah, yeah. But there's some pretty bad stuff for Saturn. Most things it didn't sell that much in the first bloody place. I'm about 
somewhere between half and two thirds of the way. And now like every game is like 30, 35 pounds. So I'm beginning to think this is a collection I will not actually complete. Yeah. Wait till you get into the Japanese shooters and stuff. That's uh... Oh no, no Japanese <laughs> stuff. Oh God. No. <laughs> yeah. Remortgage your house to get them. <laughs> yes. Crikey. Was, there was a version of Radiant Silver Gun, wasn't there for the Saturn? I think it was Japan only. Though. Yeah, I think it was. It was an, I mean, I was a big Sega fan in the mid-90s as well, but, I mean, it was kind of sad to see their demise. Did you move on to the Dreamcast as well? Oh, I did. Yes, I was um, bought a Dreamcast on bloody day of release. Wow. Yeah. Along with all the really amazing games like Ready to Rumble Boxing and, uh, oh, God, something else disappointed. No, I think I got Power Stone, actually, which was excellent. And Dynamite Cop. Oh, yeah. Which is... Yeah, technically Dynamite Cop 2 or um, Die Hard Arcade 2, I suppose, as it was released over here. That was a laugh, but it wasn't really worth your 40 quid. You know. Well, for a while, the um, internet video was quite bad. So uh, eventually YouTube came around. And uh, what inspired you to kind of start using that platform and making videos? Partially by accident, uh, um, really, which is a depressing um, thread that runs through many successful YouTube channels. <laughs> I was doing something else and it became successful. And that's why nobody takes me on as a consultant. Um, basically, I was on a forum for an old video games journalist and somebody spotted the um, pop station, which was like a ripoff of the Sony PSP, which was the big thing at the time, for about £5 on eBay. It looked amusing, so I bought it and sort of just improvised this video showing it off for five minutes for the amusement of about 15 different people on this forum. And somehow it got linked to um, Beta, B3TA, the uh, big old online creative newsletter that used to go out every Friday. And this was before YouTube or anything, so you had to download a WMV file from we store your files.net or wherever it is and it's like 70,000 people downloaded it which absolutely you know blew me off the planet at the time and then i realized i hadn't said who i was i hadn't said i'd made it i hadn't put my website address as oh and within a week like a million american teenagers were pretending they'd made it so i did a second one just really to prove i'd made the first and actually appear at the start and say my name and stuff still forgot to put my website address because hey quality and that ended up pretty much as successful um i put them onto google video because i always back the winner and after that went bust 10 seconds later i put them onto youtube and yeah just did a third one thinking people will be sick of this by now but they weren't and it's just gone on and on and on for 11 years now you know it's crazy that you mentioned that kind of pre-youtube time and actually i kind of forgotten just how difficult it was to get video out there before like streaming services that you know you'd either have to email like a, a three megabyte file and download it or you know you'd n no way of previewing it till you got the file on your desktop absolutely yep yeah, because all it was all analog camcorders on your dv tapes so um well sort of halfway between isn't it so you had to plug it into your firewire port and then capture the video and then edit the video and oh my god yeah, it's a lot quicker and easier these days, which is, I think, understatement of the century. Well, I find it fascinating that you were covering, you know, these kind of crap bootleg LCD games. Because uh, I used to go to my grandma's in London, and she'd always buy me one of these, like, you know, <laughs> poly stations or some weird kind of device. So I find it fascinating 71,000 people downloaded that, you know. Yeah, for what is essentially exactly the same thing as the old LCD games in the 80s, just with a slightly different setup for the screen, really. My God. Oh, those were the days. It, nearly every game consisted of having 
a spaceship or a footballer or a tank or something at the bottom of the screen that could move to three different positions and you would just have to dodge something falling down from the top of the screen and occasionally a bonus item would appear on the left-hand side and if you pushed left twice, you could pick it up. And that was the entirety of the gameplay. But it would keep me fascinated as a child. <laughs> Even yeah, that, that's the know. thing. <laughs> Quite good fun in themselves. It didn't usually take that long before you could um, suss it out entirely and then get the actual counter to go to 9999 and then go back over to zero, which was always uh, the ultimate point of those, I think. And the thing I find great about them is as well, you know, you're covering them and they've changed names, they've got a lot more advance in the kind of bootleg look of them, but the technology is still essentially the same. (laughs) It's only recently, and like in the last couple of years, they've started expanding at all. Now you get weird um, NES emulator type stuff and occasionally Android stuff in them. Um, But yeah, it's taken that long to get away from LCD stuff. Well, there's kind of a theme here. I mean, have you always had quite an attraction to, uh, you know, kind of naff kind of stuff? Has that always appealed to you? I think it must have done in a way, possibly because we couldn't afford anything else at the time, or there literally just wasn't anything else. But, um, yeah, I do get fascinated with how bad things can get, particularly when it's something that's gone through committees and been manufactured and sold for money, and you look at it and you think, my God, did, did nobody look at this at any stage, you know? I mean, Steam Greenlight is perhaps an extreme example, but that's an easy thing to get onto. It's when it has to go through committee to get released, and then somehow still that awful Leisure Suit Larry game for the 360 is actually released onto the market, and nobody has an answer as to why. Then they're surprised it fails and gets bad reviews. They're like, really? (laughs) Yes, oh my God, you mean we spent money and people don't love it? Oh, where did we go wrong? Oh, yeah, nobody played it before we released it. And it was written by monkeys, monkeys with headaches. Well, you know, kind of looking at consoles as well. I mean, have you ever had any systems that have like been like absolute flops? Like, you know, I'd like a Philips CDI. I've got like an Atari Jaguar, you know, all those. Ooh, I have a Jaguar, but I got it very recently uh, as a gift from somebody who hates me. Um, I had a Lynx at the time, which actually locally was quite popular. Um, There were several people with them, and we used to swap games and that. And there was still, it wasn't a flop, really. I mean, people sort of go, oh, one of the most failed consoles ever. But there were still several hundred games out for it. I suppose the, the, the least successful thing I had would have been a CDI, which I bought when the local... Um independent gaming shop was knocking them out secondhand cheap and I got it in like a stack of games and yeah once you've played Kether and uh, Seventh Guest you're pretty much ready to throw it out the window it was that FMV thing that was like you know I've never seen like video on a game before it was it was quite you know eye-catching at the time absolutely when I saw it in the shop with the golf game that's like my god this is amazing and then you get it home and oh it's Dragon's Lair. You just get to press left occasionally. Well, a, a really strange thing uh, for me was Poundland as well, because when we were kids, Poundland came out and it was kind of a bit of a joke, you know, oh, I'm going to buy mum's present, where you going, Poundland? Uh. <laughs> but now it's like a standard way of life, <laughs> the way that Absolutely people go is, to Poundland. Yeah. Yeah. My God, it's the sheer popularity of it. Um, but weirdly, it seems to have gone... I don't want to say up market because I think that's misleading, but um, it's not no longer quite the tat hive it used to be. Like the food, you used to be able to get such awful, awful things, and now it's all just branded goods worth about a pound. So you get them in slightly smaller packs or something, 
which is immensely disappointing for me because obviously Poundland food videos were good fun to do. And now it'd just be, here's some Cadbury's fingers. And they're massively popular as well. When, whenever you do a Poundland video, it's like it gets yes. loads of hits. I have to spend so much bloody time waiting, looking for sort of bad stuff in there, really. Yeah, it was always like the third party kind of knockoffs. Like instead of Monster Munch, it was Monster Claws. Exactly, <laughs> like exactly, yes. <laughs> Silver Wonder Crisps and other such stuff. Do uh, the people at Poundland recognise you then if you go in and they're like, oh, he's in looking for Tat again? <laughs> I don't think so. For the simple reason that the sheer popularity of Poundland means their footfall is astonishing. They get thousands of people through a day. I'd have to go in every time with like a giant sombrero with a siren on it or something for them to notice me more than once. <laughs> the king of Poundland is here. <laughs> <laughs> Bring out your tats. <laughs> well, how, how much like tat have you got around your house? And have you got like storage areas? Like, where do you keep it all? Oh God, don't. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen Life of Grime or Hoarders? Yeah. I'm sort of a combination <laughs> of the two at the moment. It's it's got dreadful. I had a PO box for years, um, and it got more and more popular with various things being sent in. And I didn't realise how bad it had got until I went away on holiday and I said to a friend, do you mind looking after the stuff coming in the P.O. box? He says, yeah, of course I will. And like halfway through the holiday, I just got a text saying, this is ruining my life. How, how do you live with this? We have an entire room full of boxes. We can no longer get in the spare room. And this is just from a week. God. And I was like, oh, this may be one of those boiling frog situations where this has got really bad. So I closed the P.O. box. But, my God, I've still got a lot of stuff, like a frightening amount of stuff. The um, If I was no longer allowed to buy anything new to review, I worked out I could keep going for at least two years. Wow. <laughs> you could probably start your own Poundland. <laughs> yeah. That's two videos a week. So, you know, that's... Uh, I'm going to feel like Krusty the Cloud in The Simpsons. I want to just buy a new house and move into it to get away from this one. My house is dirty. Buy me another. Well, your YouTube channel is very, you know, varied. You've got lots of different content on there. And, uh, you know, one highlight that Ravi and I absolutely love being fans of this show when it was um, on in our younger days. Uh, you actually were involved in uh, making a new version of Nightmare on uh, oh, yes. Google's Geek Week, wasn't it? How did that come about, then? Oh, nasty. I always want to say that. Um, that was literally a phone call out of the blue from a chap who ran a company that existed at the time called Channel Flip, who I worked very closely with. And they said, oh, do you want to do something for Geek Week? And I'm like, yeah, of course I will. What's going on? He went, well, we're speaking to uh, Google who want to bring back Nightmare. And I'm like, what? Nightmare? You know, bucket helmet with horns on. Sidesteps to your left. Can't spell the word shovel correctly, so get the um, spell casting wrong, etc., etc. It's like, yes. I'm like, sold sold we must do this now now it cancel everything nightmare and it was done so well because it was filmed in the original studio in norwich um which now owned by a totally different company it's not angler anymore it's owned by a sort of third party but yet we got into the same room it was originally filmed in they still used blue screen instead of green screen they had all the same crew still tim child behind it uh, so it was exactly the um original experience and i'll tell you what you don't realise watching the show just how often you walk into the bloody walls when you're wearing that helmet. Oh, really? They don't warn you. <laughs> I, I always wondered that when I watched it as a kid. I thought it must have been like filmed in a field or something so they didn't walk into anything. Mm, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's nowhere near that bloody big. <laughs> but, oh, it was good fun. Obviously, they got uh, YouTube types to be uh, the 
obviously me and uh, it was Dan and Phil and Emma Blackery doing the actual talking and Dan and Phil are obsessed with game shows they've been on loads of them if you look I think they've done The Weakest Link and various other bits and bobs before they even did YouTube and uh, they're just old enough to be aware of Nightmare so like when you present them would you like to do Nightmare bloody course we will you know and oh it was really good fun and we spent an awfully long time going over footage of the Corridor of Blades so that they could get me through it if um, we got to it. And we didn't get to it. It didn't actually come up. Although we were told afterwards that if we went on too long, they would have put us in the Corridor of Blades and ran it at double speed so it was impossible. Oh, they had it all rendered and everything ready then, did they? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, wow. absolutely. Yeah, it was all done like a proper game. So um, they had various options that weren't used. Yeah, Just meeting Treyguard, I would have been starstruck, I think. Oh, amazing man. Mighty Hugo Mai. Such a nice fella. Uh, my favourite bit was I hadn't met him beforehand and they'd done him up to look really old at the start of it with the sort of cover all white hair and all that. And so he came and I assumed that's just what he looked like now because it's been 20 years. <laughs> and then he went off after doing the first scene and came back looking like incredibly younger. I was like, yeah, he didn't look that's much amazing. Did he? Normally when he sold the show, it's like he, he could still be doing it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I wish they were because there's nothing else quite like it. But um, it's a hard one because the technology has moved on. You'd have to find some way of oh, – integ- I think that would be a very difficult call, a very difficult call to make it sort of relevant to kids these days. But the trick of it is always in watching the people bickering and failing as mm. the advisors, though. That's I think that is the core of all good game shows. But watching that on YouTube, like it transported me back to being like you know eight years old again, and I I just wanted it to continue. I thought I wished it was another series. <laughs> oh God, that would have been fantastic. But nope, they only commissioned one episode. My favourite thing about that was um, at the time Google was very uh, sort of entirely quite anti-television in the sense that yeah, we we can be better than this. You know, television of the past, we can do all this. Then as soon as they were remaking an old TV show, like a thousand people from Google HQ all travelled down to Norwich <laughs> to watch it. And normally you don't see these people at all. So there's definitely some magic left in that. Well, it kind of had it all, that show. It was like, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons crowd loved it. The people were into graphics and computer games. It kind of brought everyone together, really. Absolutely, yeah. And it was just something about it worked on all levels the sort of weird amdram aspect of it actually fitted really well i, mean, I don't know if that's perhaps a D aspect of it just it's one of those lovely times in life where everything comes together well also i mean you, you know you as well as doing youtube as well you've uh, become a writer as well you did a book called their terrible old games you've probably never heard of um, that is entirely true ago. it was a really interesting read what what kind of got you um like de- deciding to make a book then where did this come from there's a specific story and now i'm trying to remember it I've remembered it now. That was an exciting bit of the podcast, wasn't it, everybody? Um, It was Guinness World Records. I did um, some work with them once, and they got in touch with me afterwards and said, would you like to do something about the very worst games ever made, like a top uh, ten of them, sort of thing, or just list ten bad games? I thought, well, that's interesting. I'd sort of vaguely looked into it for a video in the past and never quite... um, you know got it going properly so i went through found 10 absolutely awful ones and refused to do um et for the atari 2600 because it's just all over bloody youtube everywhere so i i went and looked for sort of weird obscure things for the amiga and the spectrum and all that kind of stuff um and got it in i forget which i forget which guinness gamers book it's in something like 20 12 2011 something like that but unfortunately it got sub-edited to death they took all the jokes out which is always a kick in the teeth when you write comedy for a living. You know? Oh, wow. Why did you employ a comedian? And they added an 11th game, E.T., and wrote the copy for it themselves. 
um, which was uh, thanks guys you know but I always fancied going back to that. And then there was a period a few years ago where all the YouTubers seemed to be getting books. And I thought, this is my chance. So I went and speak to some publishers. And they were all like, why are you in our office? Piss off. And I'm like, oh, why is that? And say, well, can you sell a book with your face on to every 14-year-old girl in the world? No. Get out of my office again, you know. So it was all a bit depressing. But uh, discovered Unbound, the uh, publisher that's sort of semi-crowdfunding, semi-pre-order based. Um, I suppose you'd describe it. And they just got it immediately. They're like, oh, yeah, retro games. Yeah, there's a market for that. Yeah, totally. Um, we'll set something up. And if you you know, raise X amount of money, we'll do the book. I was like, bloody brilliant. And then there was enough people to actually, I think we were the first people to hit the target within 24 hours. But I'm not sure anybody else has ever done that. But that was a pretty big hint that, yes, people would quite like to read a book about really obscure, really bad old games. Were they these kind of ba- games that were so bad they were good, or were they just completely terrible? <laughs> you know? Ah, no, that is the perfect question. Just completely terrible, because as you say, some stuff is so bad it's kind of amusing. These go kind of beyond that to so bad they just make you wish you'd never seen a computer. And when I started looking into it, I thought oh, there can't be more than like thirty or forty of these, surely. I was hideously wrong. I could probably write five books just on the ones I've discovered so far. <laughs> It's, oh, talk about a lack of quality control in the early years. Well, I imagine you, you had to play them all again, you know, take screenshots and write about them. I mean, that was that quite painful? It can be, actually, because you have to really play them. You can't just, you know, play for five minutes and then write about it. You've got to really have a go to make sure you're not missing anything, etc., etc. And, oh, my God, when you've played Robobolt for the Commodore 64 for like a solid hour, you do begin to question life choices and, in fact, whether you should be alive at all or if existence is now just suffering. You're like, it's not worth doing this book. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, God, Robobolt. Didn't you cover that in the first one, but uh, it's covered in the second. In fact, uh, if you look at the um, page on Unbound for the second book, it uh, has that chapter as the example one. And you can find out why people with Commodore 64s really hate Robobolt. When is it the second one out then? Uh, before the end of the year. I don't know exactly. Um, I would hope it would sort of be hitting the shops around October-ish. Um, so that would mean people who have pre-ordered it would be getting their September-ish. I don't know. It's a difficult one because um, publishing is bloody convoluted and I don't understand huge amounts of it other than I will send you a Word document with letters in in a specific order so it's funny, you know. Um, but, yeah, by Christmas at the very latest. So do you still have all these classic machines then, or did you use uh, emulation to play them? I try not to emulate where possible, which is a bit of a problem because I cover a lot of old formats like the Auric Atmos and the MSX and VIC-20 and Commodore 64. So I spent an awful lot of money on very, very old computers around the time I was doing the first book. And I've now just got a room full of various different cables and adapters and so many ridiculous old computers that nobody in their right mind would actually play on. Sounds like heaven. It's great. I genuinely really like it. But, um, my God, it takes up some bloody room. You forget how big some of these things are. BBC Master, massive computer. Did you ever think that, you know, people would be interested and you'd be an author and kind of they'd be interested in this type in the future? (laughs) Absolutely not. No, I didn't think when you were sort of playing these games, it'd be, well, in 30 years' time, I'll still be playing them. But I'll be writing about them as well. No, that's that's not one the careers master came up with. Well, you mentioned you've got a lot of systems then. I mean, it's you know, if someone asks me this, mine changes every day. But have you got like, you know, 
the old typical question. If you're on a desert island and you could take one system with you, what would it be? Oh, God, that's a hard one, isn't it? Um, do you get all the games for the system or just like the top 10 games on the system? I'd say top 10. Top 10. Because all the games should just be stuck forever. <laughs> like, with anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It wouldn't matter which bloody um, machine you brought, unless it was like a Dragon 32 or something. Yeah. Hmm. Wii U. <laughs> that's a yes <laughs> well the top 10 and all the games would be pretty similar I mean. <laughs> um i'm trying to think of one where the top 10 games it would have to be something more modern wouldn't it because the games are a lot more sophisticated or is that necessarily a bad thing oh you see that's really difficult isn't it hmm do you want to because uh, you know you're going to sink a lot more time into a jrpg but once it's done it's done. You know, you're probably not going to want to go back and uh, complete Final Fantasy IX again the next week. Well, you can play Golden Axe over and over, can't you? So, yes, yes. <laughs> Do I ever want to? Yeah. Speedrun um, Mario 64 as many times as you can. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I probably want something that plays Dark Souls. Probably a Oh, then do I want a PS4 for Bloodborne? Oh, oh, my favourite games. But do you know, I think it might have to be the original PlayStation with some of the light gun games. I think they're possibly the most replayable of such things. Yeah, point and blank, you could just go forever, couldn't you? <laughs> absolutely. Get a CRT so you can actually use your light gun on it. And you've got point blank one, two and three, haven't you? You've got, what was that one with ghosts in that's basically a ripoff of point blank? Ghoul Panic. That's it, Ghoul oh. Panic. Lesser known, but quite good. Um, sadly, you wouldn't have Virtua Cop or House of the Dead because they're Sega. But, um, time Crisis, though, so, wouldn't you? Oh, was yeah, that time, I do like Time Crisis, but I think Virtua, I'd much prefer Virtua Cop, um, personally. But I think po- Point Blank really is the king of such things, isn't it? You get your exercise doing that as well. Leaping around yes, <laughs> mostly just repairing the light guns. So don't last <laughs> five minutes. CRT, yeah. <laughs> Now, it's been said that you've probably got the most uh, famous sofa on the internet. You know, a lot of your videos take place on the sofa. Have you ever been tempted to go down the kind of, you know, big flashy studio setup as your channel's got bigger? Uh, no, mostly because I couldn't afford it. But uh, <laughs> the sofa has become weirdly iconic. Um, also completely freaking knackered. Um, it's in such bad shape these days. It really is. I'm probably going to be moving house soon. And my girlfriend's like, does, does the sofa have to come with us? I'm like, yes, you know the sofa has to come with us. We'll put it in a special room that uh, has some sort of heavy locked door so it doesn't escape and eat us in the night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do because it's really literally falling apart now. As part of the um, crowdfunding campaign for something we did years ago, I actually cut the whole back off the sofa and sent people squares of the fabric. <laughs> so, well, one half of the sofa now has no back on it. It's probably got like a massive infestation of spiders or something in there. Probably Sheenob's uh, lair on the back of it. Maybe slice it in half and then just film half of it and pretend it's a full sofa. <laughs> Save space. <laughs> That's literally what we're going to do. <laughs> because it's, the sofa, weirdly, is modular. It was originally five pieces and you fit them together with these big metal clamps. So we originally had it as like two separate chairs and then three bits of a sofa together. Then I got rid of two of the chairs because they were getting a bit manky. And then I got, oh, what happened? I got rid of, yes, two parts of it. I gave to a friend who sort of used it in their conservatory for years and then they fell to bits. Then another part of it, um, we took up to London for filming something we did uh, called The Proxy at the time and just had it disposed of in London because I really didn't want to pay to have it shipped back down. So that left us just now with two parts. And one is very knackered and one is extremely knackered. And I think I may just have to uh, get rid of part of it. So technically, the sofa will just be a chair. 
It wouldn't be the same without the sofa, though. It's like, you know, Kylie Minogue's got, like, her legs insured, and uh, it's like, you, know, <laughs> you, you need that sofa. <laughs> I do. I don't know. Oh. Reupholstery company. That is the only way. I would totally use a different sofa if a company paid an absolute fortune to have it on there. But uh, strangely enough, nobody really wants to have their brand associated with having crap blind bags burnt and stuff like that. Well, out of everything you've covered on your channel, I mean, is, uh, is the one thing that stands out as like the worst product that you've covered to date? Oh, crikey. Um, well, not counting any of the expired food, which would obviously... Um, yeah, tick all the boxes and more. Uh, oh God, we've had some stuff which is just so not fit for purpose or wrong-headed. I'm trying to go through bits and bobs in my mind now. Um, recently, the action figure, well, it's more like a doll, actually, but they call it an action figure of Aunt May from Spider-Man, was just so grotesque and wrong on every single level. Um, that must be one of my least favourites for that. But there was a handheld game called a... I think it was a WLL or something. No, no, that was something else. No, this was a called the Tilt Games, and it looks like a Wii remote, but with a tiny, tiny screen for an LCD game in it. And instead of having left and right buttons, you had to move it left and right, at which point a ball bearing actually moved around inside it and made contact with different bits of metal, thus telling it if it's going left or right. And it just did not work. Um, it's, it's, I mean, we laugh at how bad these games are, but you can at least move the characters in them usually. You know. Well, you mentioned like the eating old food thing, which uh, you know is it's like something you do that every time I watch those, I'm always thinking, is is that really that, or have you filled it with something else? This is actually like you're eating twenty year old products sometimes. Oh yeah, it's it's all real and. It's one of those things you have to take a little taste or not do it at all. You can't, you know, pretend because the audience will know, damn them. They always know. But that's something that kind of started by accident. Somebody just sent in some expired jelly beans for a laugh to my um, P.O. box. And I was quite intrigued with it. I thought, what do these look like? The answer, a black lump of rot. Didn't try those ones. But, yeah, we've gone on over the years to do many different horrifying things. Um, the eldest were 180-year-old olives in a sealed bottle that were found in a shipwreck. <laughs> I kid you not. We th I thought they were 130 years old. When we looked into it, it was actually 180. So um, they're actually older than claimed in the video. You live but, to tell a tale. <laughs> yeah, I did not taste those ones, to say the least. It was just like a horrifying black goo in an incredibly old-fashioned bottle. When you're tasting this stuff, do you need to kind of either mentally prepare or think, I'm going to have the afternoon off because I'm going to feel like crap after eating this? <laughs> You never try to, just the tiniest amount, because some of that stuff in any substantial amount would genuinely make you ill, because it give you bloody botulism or something, some of the old stuff. So the trick is, uh, drink some neat vodka or gin beforehand, because that helps kill um, the uh, sort of bacteria in it. Just the tiniest amount, the absolute tiniest amount, and then drink some more booze afterwards in order to <laughs> attempt to kill whatever's living in it. And you're too drunk to care by that point. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't have too much because then you might accidentally, I don't know, have another spoonful or something. Is there any like uh, food or snacks that you miss from your younger days you'd like to try again? Yes, I can give you an immediate answer to that. Quattro. Oh, yeah. There was, yeah, fruit-flavoured fizzy drink with four different fruits in called Quattro. I was very excited when I found out they still make it in some area of the world, but unfortunately it's a different drink that just shares the same name. I was remember uh, Tab Clear. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was nice. Yes, I never tried that, you know. 
My yeah, dad uh, used to like banana funny feet, which were like these feet-shaped ice creams, which <laughs> are really weird. I, I, yeah, funny feet are still actually a thing, but they're usually the pink strawberry one. I didn't know they did banana ones. My God, that's interesting. It is a bizarre concept for something there, isn't it? What do children like? I know, cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember fiendish feet as well, the yogurts. They were cool in the late 80s, early 90s. I know the name, but I can't think what they were. They used to do little yogurt pots in there, like vampire fangs on and stuff, and one was Frankenstein. And... Mike, right, I'm going to have to literally Google this now, because it's setting off some vague memory. Fiendish feet. Fiendish feet yogurts, yeah. I think St. Ivel made them. Oh, yes, here we go. Oh, yes, yep, yeah. that was it. Little yogurt pots, literally with feet on, yeah. I think they go on eBay, like, the pots for about, like, 50 quid now. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Feet and dairy, the best combination. <laughs> there's, there's a real mental block there somewhere in the marketing department, isn't there? <laughs> oh. Well, I'm talking about your channel at the moment. I mean, recently you've been doing, like, you know, some kind of computer history videos. You did, like, uh, the ZX-18. You've done, like, the Lynx. I mean, uh, is this something you're going to be covering a bit more? Yeah, I think I will, just because I've got so many old computers um, from doing the books. Um it's a hard one to broach, though. It's it's kind of different. How do you? How far do you get into it? I, I think I'll approach it more from a sort of gaming point of view and literally show you this is the system. This is what it's capable of. Here's five good games from it. Here's five bad games from it. Um, now we go to sleep. Yeah, and no, I do enjoy the old retro gaming stuff. I've got a lot more old handhelds to go through, but I tend to do those very sparingly because once they're done, they're done. I was a big fan of the Atari Lynx, and I finally got around to doing it this year, and it's like, well, that's a bit sad now. I've done the Lynx. But mm. well, the best thing about your Lynx video, I found, was all the accessories, because, you know, they're all really weird, and especially, like, that extended battery pack. <laughs> <laughs> that's astonishing, isn't it? It must weigh about 40 tonnes when it's got batteries in it. It's... Just carry a brick in your bag, you know? I think it was probably bigger and heavier than a house brick. Seriously, it's just absolutely ridiculous. My favourite video for accessories, though, are the, is the Game Boy Spectacular, which I did three or four of them just because there were so many weird accessories. You know, the whole point was it was a tiny little game you could put in your pocket, so we'll sell you this giant cabinet that you put it in the middle of, and it distorts and magnifies the screen and has giant speakers, and you can't reach the controls. And Oh, oh man, loved some of those things. Well, speaking of Nintendo portables, I mean, uh, you recently got your hands on a Nintendo Switch as well. Are you uh, feeling optimistic about its success then? I have no idea. I think it's so hard to call stuff these days, particularly for bloody Nintendo, really. Um, if the third parties get behind it, maybe? I don't know. Um, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because it's being sold as this sort of dual-purpose um, console. You know, you can play it on your hands, but plug it into your television and it's more powerful. It really is just a handheld that overclocks a bit when you plug it into the mains, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying Zelda, though really liking Breath of the Wild. I know it's, you know, essentially a Wii U game they ported over, but it's bloody good. I've never been a huge Zelda fan, but I got a Switch and that's pretty much like the only thing to play right now, isn't it? So you're forced to get into it, but I'm really enjoying it as well. I haven't seen my girlfriend for days. She's just (laughs) Zelda. (laughs) No, I'm exactly the same. I don't think I ever really enjoyed a Zelda game. Um, Never really played the 2D ones. Didn't really get on with Ocarina of Time. Um, But no, there's something about this I really like. This sort of slightly gentle pace of it as well. I think I could have done with playing something like that at the moment. 
because I've played really nothing but Dark Souls for years, which is quite intense. So perhaps it's just nicer to have something uh, a little more ambient. It gives you a break from the terrible games as well. Yes, thank God. It's nice to be able to play something that you can actually play and enjoy. Well, Stuart, we really appreciate you joining us on the show this week. It's been loads of fun chatting. Excellent. Thank you for inviting me on. No problem. If people want to find your channel, if you know for some bizarre reason they haven't checked it out, um, have you got Twitter, YouTube channel links and all that they can find easy enough? Yep. On every single system, I am just Ashens. A-S-H-E-N-S. Ashens. One word, like Madonna. <laughs> Excellent. We'll keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.